Welcome to the Global Marketing Show, the podcast for all things international business. I'm your host, Wendy Pease, president of Rapport International and a translation expert. Come along with me today as we talk to an expert in the global marketing world about facing their biggest fears, hearing about mistakes they made or saw, discussing best practices, and sharing fun travel language and culture stories. Hello, Global Marketing Show listeners. I am so glad you've tuned in today. There's always so many interesting things when I'm talking to visitors. And today we're really blessed to have Andy Carellas here. He is uh, the Executive Director of the State International Development Organization, the Director of International Affairs at the Council of State Governments. So Andy, welcome. Well, thank you, Wendy. Really appreciate the opportunity to, to join you. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to this conversation because there's I, I know I'm going to learn a lot. So you're you are the executive director of what I know as SIDO. And before that, you served as a senior staffer with the House Small Business Committee, where you focused on international trade issues. And you were instrumental in passing the state trade expansion program, the STEP program, which I think is a fabulous one, and I'm sure we're going to get into that more, and the Federal State Trade Coordination Act. And so prior to joining SIDO, you also worked in the private sector in the U.S. Congress and the U.S. Department of Commerce. This is fascinating. Native of Missouri and a bachelor's degree in international business from the Webster University and a master's degree in international commerce and policy from the George Mason University. So all different areas than I've ever worked in, you know, when you're starting to talk about DC in there. So, so why don't we jump in? How did you get an interest in international trade? Yeah, I think it started when I was really young. So my, my father was a, a Greek immigrant directly off the boat. So we you know, grew up in a very international family and we spent a lot of time traveling back to, to Greece. And you know, it reminded me one of the times I remember I was right around 13, 14, you can kind of figure out how life works and how things are operating. I remember seeing a purple Michael Jordan jersey for sale in Greece. And I was like, why do they have a purple Michael Jordan jersey? Why not a normal red one for the Chicago Bulls? And that's when I started to get curious about trade, about why they have certain products here. Why, why can I only find Kellogg's cereal over in Greece and not everything else? So then it really got me into, okay, the, the nuts and bolts of trade and really the export import process and figuring out how this works. Blessed to be, you know, fortunate to, to have, you know, my father's exposure to, to traveling around. We spent many summers over in Greece with our families and we've traveled all around. And so that really got me interest, uh, interested in international trade. And that's what took me to uh, Webster University in, in St. Louis, Missouri. And, you know, I was planning on going to a couple other bigger schools, but Webster had a really good international program along with the modern Greek program that I studied as well. It really helped me with my conversational Greek and my family as well. But yeah, fascinating. I just, I, I would attribute it to the growing up and having that international family that really got me curious. So you would get to go over every summer to the to Greece? 
and hang out at like were you on the islands and on the beaches over there which are beautiful i know i, I sound really arrogant right now don't i i am yeah we that's was, your home country you're sounding really lucky you got family to go <laughs> you had to go visit family <laughs> yeah well back in the day we used when you were 15 and you do it you know a handful of times before you know you're like okay dad do we have to go back to the same village in the same place can we go somewhere else in europe and, you know looking back i'm like oh man i was you know i got to choose my words a little wiser <laughs> well, i think we all look back at when we were 15 and say that <laughs> uh-huh so what was most surprising to you when you started learning about international trade or what was you know what's been shocking to you yeah i think it's you know i, I love the dynamic of you know business economics politics geography logistics when you put that all together it's a fascinating area it's ever-changing there's always something new and dynamic whether it's a, a trade war a currency issue a, a pandemic you know these are things that it's not it's just always interesting you know, you're never, you're never bored. You constantly have to follow the news, follow the economics and figure out those opportunities. So I found it really fascinating when, you know, when you do your undergraduate studies and marketing, you say, okay, let's, you know, take a product and let's market it over here and let's sell it abroad. Well, that's easier said than done. Once you start peeling back the onion and I think having that, you know, curiosity, like when you start really going through the export import process, it's fascinating. There's all multi-levels, as you know, you know, from, from finding your buyers to understanding the compliance and the logistics and how to price it, how to market it. There's a lot of layers that are involved in that whole process. And I just found that extremely fascinating. And, and it's, it's something they don't really teach as much in detail in undergrad. And I think that's something all of us can really work together on is, you know, making sure like, that level of content is really taught. And I think that's where like internships are invaluable in really getting that hands-on experience and working through with companies, you know, on that export process. Okay. So, you know, this podcast is geared towards people that want to do international trade or might want to start exporting or doing business across borders. And if I were listening and I just heard you say that, I'd be a little intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with all this stuff that you have to learn, what do you say to business owners or business leaders that want to grow across borders on, you know, what would the, be the steps that you'd recommend that they do? Well, jump right in. I would say there's, there's a lot of help and a lot of resources out there that are ready to guide you through every step of the process. You know, I, I grew up in a small business and that's something that, you know, that's the majority of exporters that are out there right now. 98% of our exporters are, are small. You don't have to know it all. There's a lot of experts out there. When you look at, you know, the, the resources at the federal trade agencies, you have the U.S. Department of Commerce, where I worked. They have the Foreign Commercial Service and the Domestic Commercial Service. These are specialists that are, are here to help guide you through the whole process. Everything from understanding what markets to go to how to price it, how to find the buyers, how to ship it. They help you through the whole process. All they need is your time and interest and commitment. Similar, there's the U.S. Department of Agriculture. They have a huge foreign, foreign ag process over there that can help. And then the association that I work for, we represent the governor's international trade offices. 
So each state has resources as well that, that helps the companies navigate the opportunities. And that's part of the, the legislation that I worked on in my previous job is making sure that we have all of these robust resources from the federal trade agencies to the states, to the private sector, thinking the World Trade Centers, the US Department of Commerce's, uh, small business development centers and others out there that they all work together to really help that small business demystify the trade process and make it easy for them. Because at the end of the day, that's what all of our missions are, is to really help that company make it as easy as possible, find those buyers and secure that floor and sale. So I would say, go right in. I think one of the best things to do is just to call your state trade office and they understand all the resources in your state, how you can take advantage of this and work together. Okay, so that was going to be my next question. You just listed off a whole bunch of different places people could go for help. And it's like, where do you start? But if you look for your state trade office, so you just Google, you know, say you're from Missouri, Missouri trade office, then that something will come up and you can go right there to the state and ask, hey, I'm interested in doing this. How do I start? Yeah, that's correct. I, I You can go to our, our cytoamerica.org site. That's cytoamerica.org. We have a trade directory of every state. So every state's economic development office is listed on there along with their personnel and resources. I, I will say every state is truly unique. So not, not one state is exactly the same. Some state trade offices are under the governor's office. Some are under their economic development office. Some are designated in a public-private partnership, for example. But if you go there, that'll give you a great spot to have that first conversation. Also encourage them to look at trade.gov. That's the US Department of Commerce's website. There's a lot of resources. They have webinars, trainings, videos, stuff to, you know, if you're new to exporter specifically, it's good just to spend some time learning these new new techniques and figure out, okay, what do I need to know? How do I get myself in a position? And then we also have the small business development centers. We mentioned, I mentioned that the states can, can help you figure out, each state has a relationship with their respective small business development center, which the SBDCs for background are a partnership of a university, the small business administration and the state. So they're very localized. So each state can have multiple SBDCs that play a role in international trade as well. So they might be able to help you with maybe the, the new to export strategy and helping guide you through the process. And then the state can help you with another process and the US Department of Commerce can help you with another one. But to your point, I would direct them to the state office, have them get familiar with all the resources there, have that introduction call, make sure that you can discuss, am I export ready? Am I, am I going into this saying, all right, I have the time, the capacity, the interest, and then help them, the states can help them build their ecosystem, is what we call it, all the resources in their respective state. Where does somebody, like, what are the top 10 things, plus or minus one or two or whatever, that you'd say somebody needs to understand to be able to export? So if they go on the trade.gov and they're looking for webinars and training, what are those top 10 things they need to know. Yeah, I mean, you just kind of go through the general export process. As you know, I mean, I think first is knowing your market. You know, you have to figure out 
here's my product or service, where is it marketable? How do you find that information? So there's, there's data resources out there from the Commerce Department and Ag Department and, and others, and states have this information as well. So it's figuring out, you know, your market on that side. You know, second, you got to know your product and service. How do you both market it internationally? So thinking of language translations, thinking about your e-commerce platform, how do you make sure that your product or service is visible on that then you start looking at, you know, as, as you're targeting, you know, foreign countries, you start looking at opportunities for there. Okay, maybe there's a trade show, maybe there's a trade mission. How are you going to physically get to that trade show and to sell your products to X country? And another thing, as you know, is, is compliance and logistics. So we can't just export any product or service. Depending on, on the country and the type of product or service you have, there are certain license restrictions most notably ammunition, military equipment, think of that. You just can't export that anywhere you want, especially like North Korea. <laughs> so there's a lot of guidelines between the State Department, the Commerce Department, along with the U.S. Treasury that, that you have to comply with to make sure you're export eligible or else you'll be fined on that side. Then you start talking about logistics. So thinking about how do you physically actually ship this? How is this going to work with your margins? How does this negotiate into your pricing as well? Thinking about the inco terms. That's you know the shipping terms for how do you how do you transport this and who's responsible and liable. So that all goes into part of that pricing mechanism to say how do you price it to make sure that it is it's viable and productive for you. And then kind of lastly, it's, it's going to mission. And then how do, you, how do you find those buyers? And that's where you know, states can help you. There's a lot of resources out there. We mentioned in the introduction, the STEP grant, that's the State Trade Expansion Program. That is a federal uh, grant program from the Small Business Administration that goes to states to help small businesses participate in trade events. So they can use the STEP grant to go on a trade show, on a trade mission, to use e-commerce to get their, their website marketed internationally as well. So that's the last step is really finding those buyers in that trade show, going, having those discussions, having those sales, and then it's all about the follow-up as well. So I think just to your point, you know, there's, there's a lot of steps in the process. It's mapping it through and just kind of getting a, a good understanding of each one and that's all what goes into the business's export strategy, which the states and all the partners, especially the Commerce Department, SBDCs, and our trade offices can guide you through. Ah, that is fantastic. I mean, you had no preparation for the top 10 list, and you could list them out so clearly. So I want to go back to a couple of them. Knowing your market, I hear all sorts of crazy reasons as to why people would enter a market. Like, what are like? I've heard people say, oh, I have family in Greece, so I'm going to open up in Greece because, you know, I want to go over there and visit and I already understand the market. What are some of the reasons when people are either doing the research or that you're talking to about why they pick a, a new market? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think it's a lot of that. So like you mentioned, they might have a personal tie. They might have a cultural connection. They might have a language familiarity. So they understand that. A lot of it depends on you know, where that market potential is. So if you have your product and service and you see the growing demand in X countries, that's where an opportunity is. Of course, you have to vet it with looking at 
the geopolitics. You know, in that country might, you know, there's, there's corruption in, in many countries. There might be some geopolitical issues that you have to navigate. So you, you take all this through kind of the, you vet it through a web and say, you know, my top markets are, are these five countries for the demand of our service. Maybe the country has invested in a new initiative. Maybe it's like an example, a renewable energy initiative that's procured from a, a country that says we're going to invest X amount of billions in, in renewable energy. It's a pretty good market opportunity. That's where between our state trade offices and the federal trade agencies, they're constantly monitoring these opportunities from abroad. So they have connections with the local businesses, the governments abroad. They're collecting this information to say, here are some new opportunities and trends that are available. So that's where you take all of that together. And that's when you work with your team and you work with the state and say, what makes the most sense for us? You know, maybe you're a new to exporter. So going to China is probably not your best first time to export. Maybe you should target, you know, Canada, Mexico. Let's look at the European Union. Let's look at countries that we have a free trade agreement with. That would be an easier opportunity than navigating China. So you kind of put that all together and it really, you never know as well in the international business world, it's a small world. There might be a small connection that says, you know what, I know that family over in Greece, they have this type of restaurant and service and that might be your first draw to take it. So I love those success stories. I think finding those success stories that are like, you know, one of the best things, if we could catalog them all together and put them in a book about international trade, that would be a fun, fun project. Oh my gosh, I would so work on that. That's kind of what I'm doing with the podcast is I get to hear all these fabulous stories of what's going on. Give me some success stories that you've heard about. Oh, so many of them. I mean, I, I'm one step removed. So my, my role, I work directly with the states. So I get to hear all their success stories. I would say one of my favorite ones, I was taking a, a trade mission to the UAE with the state and we were meeting with, we had two meat suppliers that were with us, beef suppliers, and they were meeting with local restaurants. When we were sitting there, one of them made the connection that they're both from, like the meat suppliers from Missouri. He made the connection that at the restaurant that they actually grew up in Missouri. They grew up about a mile away from each other on a farm. They knew each other, but this was like 20 years removed. So like they knew the same small town family and here they are 20 years later, one guy is, is selling their beef to the restaurant where they were neighbors. And we all just like, we're fascinated. And we're like, oh my gosh, this is the story of small business trade. Like, this is why it makes it fantastic. Oh, that's oh, fantastic. That I, I, I can't think of one that's better than that one. Uh, I'm sure some states have much more interesting or, or a lot of other success stories too. I mean, I have heard jokes about things like that happening, but here's a real life story where they're sitting on the other side of the world and realizing that they grew up near each other. I love that one. Yeah. And, 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 you know, so that leads us into know your product or service. You're talking about beef suppliers from the U.S. going to UAE. What other kind of categories do you see that make good exports? I mean, that's what's fascinating. It's every, basically every industry. You know, when you look down the pipeline, it might be a supplier of an aerospace industry. It'll be a supplier of a defense industry. You know, understanding what an export is, you know, it, it can be a service. It can be a, a consultant. 
It can be an architect. So when you start looking at it in detail, you know, even an example of visiting international student, that is considered an export because they are coming from abroad and buying US dollars. So universities that have international students is one of the largest exports for a lot of regions as well. So when you start looking at it, there's industries all the above. It's not just your general, you know, we think of it a lot as the manufacturers, you know, it's like, okay, you're, unless you manufacture a widget, you're not an exporter. That's yeah. not true. So, I mean, you, as you mentioned, it's, there's a lot of fields. So I think it's, you know, the growing technology of, of ICT and computer technology that is a huge field. You look at the biotechnology as well. These are emerging technology trends that, you know, the U.S. is a leading leading developer. They're ready to go showcase it. So, I mean, I, I look at all industries across the board, and whether it's the final product or a supplier, there's, there's a lot of opportunities with each industry. So I sit on the multicultural committee on the Greater Boston Convention and Visitor Bureau. And I've often wondered about this. Are people who provide services for tourism, are they exporters? So could they apply to get a step grant to translate their website to bring in international visitors to visit them? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, tourism is a huge export, as you just noted. Unfortunately, not with the STEP grant, it's not eligible. There's, there's a list of, in your state trade office, can guide you through the list of eligible activities. Each respective state has a different, a different program, how they architect the STEP grant. But SBA, yeah, we, they don't allow the tourism side as an export service for the STEP grant, although it is a big one. I would point them to um, an industry called, or an association called Brand USA. This is an independent agency of the federal government that is focused on basically boosting tourism. It's part of the Department of Commerce. They get uh, robust, allowable of, I'm trying to get the exact dollar amount, but they have a robust amount of money focused on promoting tourism. So they'll work with states, they'll work with large companies. You know, think of a Disney World, you know, you'll see Disney World, you know, flyers throughout airports. They'll work in conjunction with Brand USA to, to really help that state and region focus on their tourism. Okay, so that's Brand USA, B-R-A-N-D-U-S-A. Correct. Part of the Department of Commerce. So that's good to know. I've never heard of that. All right. And so back when you mentioned item number two, you, would, you also mentioned translation. I got a biased interest in that. <laughs> so love to hear you talk about that and what you recommend for exporters. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll defer to you on this one if you want to go ahead and answer this for me. I mean, it's, it's invaluable. You know, I mean, you know this between you're having your business cards, you know, having your, your, your marketing material, your website as well, making sure it's localized. I'm not a computer whiz. So knowing that, if I have my website and somebody searches for me in a foreign country, they're not going to, it's not going to show up. You know, I have to register it in that foreign country of, of market, market interest. So really this is, you know, as you're going through kind of trade 101, this is, this is the beginning. It's making sure you understand your cultural awareness and you're doing your time and, and making the good effort to communicate effectively. And, and each market's going to be different. You know, there might be an opportunity where, they speak English and, and you're familiar with that. A lot of times, you know, like when you go to Asian markets where you're going to need translators, that might be for 
the trade missions or the trade shows, but just effective marketing and, and communication is, is essential because how else can you, can you secure the deal if you can't speak a common language? Google Translate. I am, I am skeptical on, I, I'm skeptical on, on, let's say application. I won't call out Google specifically, but okay. application based. I, I have a small story that I'll mention. One of my missions, we had somebody that, somebody, we were at a market area in China and somebody was trying to sell this gentleman in our group, a Chinese translation book. And he said, no worries. I have Google translate. I don't need it. Well, he's like, and he's like, let me show you. Well, when he said something, he, he said some, a sentence in, in English and he like showed her. And then the, the lady in it, the Chinese lady just like had the look of shock on her face. Like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. She looked at her husband and they both ran away. So we look at the gentleman in our group. I'm like, what did you say to her? And then he looks at the phone and it had a few profanity words in it. And he's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so he, he's never said a, a swear word in his life. He was like, I can't believe I said this. And then he was shocked. And we're all like, oh my God. So that experience, you know, is just a, an example. I was like, okay, let's make sure you're double checking and you're getting a credible translator, not your phonetics from your phone. But I just, gosh. How embarrassing, because you've just, I mean, that's so much damage to the relationship. Oh, all right. Yes. Yeah, so very good advice. And I'm happy to hear that because that's about, that's what I'd say is make sure you're trying to communicate and connect and be careful of any application that you're using for translation. And then you talked about trade shows or missions. Walk me through, like I'm a new exporter, what would happen on a trade show or a trade mission? Yeah. So as you know, there's, there's thousands of trade shows that, that happen throughout the year. There are some very select shows. You know, there is an example, a health show in, in Dubai called Arab Health. That's a very popular trade show for, for the healthcare industry. There's the Paris Air Show. That's one of the major air shows as it relates to aerospace industries. So each industry has a robust amount of trade shows that are there. That's where vendors, a lot of states will have a booth there. So they'll have a booth where they'll bring a handful of companies. Some companies will have their own kind of trade show booth. Think of your normal five by five table with marketing display. That's where basically the platform and the environment at a trade show is where you meet your buyers. That's where everybody starts the relationships. You know, they get to see your product or sample your, your product or service, have the discussion. You go to you know, a different market. It might be in Europe. It might be in Asia. It might be in North America. But that's the platform for exchanging buyers and sellers. They're, I grew up going to trade shows. I love them. They're fascinating. I started you know, in the restaurant world. We went to restaurant trade shows, which as a kid, you get to sample everything, which is fantastic. But in this world, it's nice because you get to really see all the commerce and the, the interactions and the exchanges. That's really where it, it starts. And that's a really good return on investment for an exporter to go. So it's really about figuring out what's the ideal trade show to go to. And that's where the states can really help guide you and say, here's the best opportunity to go. And similarly on trade missions, this is a little bit different. It's not a massive trade show where there's a lot of pavilions and spectators. Trade missions are more targeted towards a country. So an example, a governor 
will lead a trade mission to a certain country. They'll bring a handful or maybe eight to 10 businesses. They'll have very direct meetings and be like business to business meetings and opportunities there. So it's a little bit more specific, you know, where you can have one-off kind of meetings. Maybe you have 10 to 15 prospective companies that you're meeting with. Whereas at a trade show, you might meet a hundred companies. So we like to recommend a combination and your state trade office can point you to the best trade show and trade mission to utilize. Now you mentioned step grants before and step grants in most states can be used for translation or they could, and or they could be used for trade shows and missions, right? Can you talk more about where step grants came from and why the government would give out free money to help exporters? Yeah, so I mean, right now we have, when you look at the amount of small businesses that are out there, only, only one and a half percent of small businesses export. So what we try to do is to make sure we, we create the opportunities and, and the resources to help guide those companies to export. A lot of times it's just too daunting for them. You think of a company with less than 10, 10 people, you know, they got to do everything from hire to work about their, worry about their cybersecurity, their IT system, their payroll. They're, they're largely focused on the domestic economy. So what we have to do is to create the resources and the process to help initiate and incentivize that small business to take the steps to become an exporter and to do that. It's not cheap, it's a, it's a time and capacity. And that's really where the step grant fills, fills a, a big gap. It helps provide that small business with the incentive and the resources to work in conjunction with the state and the federal trade agencies to start the export process. A lot of times, as, as you know, you know, you're not going to get an export success on your first trip. You know, say you go to a trade show, you might not secure a sale for six months or a year. It might have to take multiple trips before you finally succeed. So that's really where that step grant provides that incentive and that financial support just to really give them the confidence and say, okay, as a small business, I'm invested, I'm ready to go. Let's work on this together. You mentioned, you know, you can use it for translation. You can use it for trade shows. There's a list of about nine general frameworks that SBA allows states to use. And I know you're going to quiz me and ask for all nine of them, but. Uh, <laughs> no, because I also know the amount and what they allow vary by state. But yeah, if you could give us a generality of what they can be used, that would be great. Yeah, so generally think of, think of, you know, if you're doing a marketing report or study, if they need trainings as well, businesses can utilize that. You mentioned translation services, e-commerce services. So getting their website localized and understanding how to get on e-commerce platforms, going to the trade shows. So that can include every grant, as you mentioned, every state does it different. That could include airfare, transportation, trade show registration fees. Same with trade. There's also marketing buyer reports. So think of the U.S. Department of Commerce gold keys. Those are reports that the Commerce Department lines up vetted buyers for your product or service. Those cost a little bit of money, and that's where the step grant can also be used towards that. Compliance. If there needs to be a IPR or a compliance record, 
there's certain money that's allowed towards that as well. So a lot of opportunities, a lot of variation, but you know, mainly just go out there and ask your state trade office how they use their step grant and what's applicable. Is it for somebody to apply? How easy? How easy or how hard? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how easy? <laughs> it's, yeah, every state um, develops their, their unique process. So some states have an application. Some states require a certain timeline, but it, they, they try to make it as easy as possible. I mean, that's what we have right now is we need to encourage more small businesses, especially those new to exporters to get out there and do it. So they try to make it as seamless and easy as possible. Some, you know, they have reporting requirements that they have to provide to SBA. So they'll ask the company for results from their trade mission or their trade show. Like, how did that step grant help you? So that's one of the requests that they'll get. And then a lot of it depends on, on the timing. So if a company wants to you know, sometimes receive step grant, they have to use it in a certain amount of time, say six months or, or sooner. But those are usually easy for the company in the state to, to work towards. You know, it's always helpful to hear about mistakes that companies have made so you know what potholes to avoid. What are some of the mistakes you've heard companies do? Yeah, I think not enough preparation and planning. You know, sometimes there's there's a lot of a lot of rushing. So that's kind of one one thing is just making sure. Sorry, I got my, my puppy in the background. I'm making sure you know you you do your homework, you know, understand the buyers be prepared on that side. You know, that starts with, you know, your marketing and translation and communication. It's understanding that as well. You know, I think sometimes kind of other mistakes, sometimes, you know, businesses are, are over eager. You know, I think we have to understand the culture that you're going to. So some Asian cultures, as you know, it takes time and relationship. It takes multiple conversations. They want to get to know you before they talk about your service or your product. So just being mindful of, of the cultural differences and being patient. I think that's one of the biggest issues with a lot of small businesses. They're focused. They know the American way. You know, we're saying, I have 30 minutes. Let's talk about it. Let's get it done and let's move on. Well, that 30 minutes might be a two-hour tea just to get to know you. And then that might be the first conversation and they'll revisit it in three months and do it again. So I think just keeping those cultural norms and understanding of your counterparts is, is, is vital. Talk about Americans wanting to do it within 30 minutes and go into Asia and it's two hours to get to know somebody. I think you said Asia. What do you think is the most different culture from the United States? Where do people struggle the most? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good one. I think, you know, I think naturally I'd point to our Asian countries. I think doing business in China is probably the most dynamic and challenging if I'm a small business where they have, you know, they might have some capitalism or some, some mechanisms in place to expedite it, just the culture and then just the, the government process overall can be more cumbersome. You know, you look at, you look at a Japan, you look at an India, as well. India is a fascinating market. Somebody told me it's easier to trade from a foreign country into a state of India versus from a state to a state because they have a complex myriad of, of states and the international, similar to us, where the states have different provincial rules, regulations that, that make it difficult for intrastate trade. So just trying to navigate 
those rules and regulations that might not be as as open and transparent. But each one of those those Asian regions, it's not not as not as easy as to relate to as like the European Union or the UK or Canada, where you know we have democracies, we're used to you know X amount of um, our structure and process. It's different, especially if you're talking about a Chinese communist system and just different cultural norms as well. So each one is different, but I would say those are probably the most like challenging to help understand. Mm -hmm. And what advice would you give for somebody trying to understand doing business in a culture that's very different? Yeah, I would say there's, there's a lot of resources for that. So the State Department has country guides. The Commerce Department also has country guides. Well, they'll walk through both the geopolitics, the, the protocols, they'll talk about kind of the cultural history, the background. Those are good primers just to read up and to understand the history, the process, all of the above. And then having those further conversations with experts like yourself or the states where they can really talk through you know, the, the communication style and the cultural background and how it really relates to your export opportunity. We're in a different world now. You know, there's a lot of Zoom conversations that are happening internationally. So that's another question of how does, you know, Zoom protocol work when we're saying between two foreign countries? A lot of different layers that we're working on. But there's a lot of resources out there. That's good to know. Why do so few companies export from the United States? Yeah, I mean, that's a question we're all working on right now. But I think the, the short answer would be, you know, we're blessed with a robust economy right here. You know, we're not a historically an economic export economy. So, you know, whereas smaller countries, exports is a bigger part of their, their gross domestic product. The U.S., we're right around 11% of our gross domestic product. I think Germany's closer to 38 to 40%. They've just been, you know, between you know, their international position of certain countries and their economy, less, they're more dependent on exports where we haven't been. We have a large consumer economy. So I think that's probably their natural. They're, they're very saturated with the domestic economy. Maybe it could be a capacity issue. As I mentioned, exporting does take commitment and capacity and supplies as well. So do they have the manufacturing capacity to export them? So a lot of them, and I think some of them just get, and this is what we're trying to demystify, is they just get overwhelmed. And they say, you know what, it's too much to handle. I don't want to, I don't want to worry about my intellectual property being stolen from X. I don't want to worry about this trade finance. I don't want to worry about this logistic. I'm just not going to deal with it. I'm fine as I am. What we have to work together to educate them is, is to really understand the benefits. Exporting firms, they grow at a much higher rate. They grow around, you know, five to seven percent faster than non-exporting. They pay on average 18 to 20 percent higher than non-exporting firms. And then one of my stats that I always use is regarding recessions. You know, whenever we can go into a recession or, or down or decline in the economy, companies that export, they actually grow at a much faster rate. I believe the last U.S. International Trade Commission report had during the last recession, companies that did not export declined by 7%, and companies that did export grew by 18% in revenue. So we always like to use that as a diversification resource to help incentivize small businesses to export. Wow. 
Wow. I mean, I hadn't heard that statistic before that the non-exporters drop by 7%, but the exporters increase by close to 20%. I mean, right there is, okay, that's, that's the number one reason to start ex exporting. Yeah. Do you, can you talk some about whether you can run a business from the United States that's exporting or do you need employees in the ground or bilingual employees or distributors, like all that? I, I see different things. So I'm curious as to what you're running into. Yeah, you don't, you know, that's, that's the beauty of you know, when you work with our states and the federal trade agencies and everybody, they're your teammates. So I advise any, any business, whether you're one person or 499, which is the lowest amount based on a small business definition of SBA, there's the resources that are there to help you. Nobody has to be an expert on everything. It's very rare that you find one person that's an expert on the whole export process. Think about you know, the legal, the compliance, the, the finance term. There's a lot of people that are there to help you. So I would encourage any and all, depending you know, on your size, from one, one employee all the way up to the 499 to, to reach out to your state and to your partners and to start the process. I think it should be, I always thought of when you're developing a business plan, you know, international needs to be a component in a chapter of your business plan. A lot of times their business plan is just focused on the domestic economy. They're not looking internationally at the beginning. So that can be a robust part of, part of the business plan to really help launch that new entrepreneur or small business into further growth. Who leads the international expansion? Like you mentioned that international needs to be a chapter in your business plan, which I love that. I always tell companies think global from the start mm -hmm. uh, because it'll give you a certain way of thinking. And I see biz business owners leading it. And I see various employees across the organization leading international. So, but I don't know who typically would do that. So I was curious if you had any thoughts about that? Yeah, I think similar to like what you noted, you know, it can range from the owner to, you know, their sales, their sales director. It's usually within their sales office who, who leads that depending on the size of the company. If it's a larger, small company, you know, say they have 300 plus employees, they might have a designated international trade manager in office. It could be a part of their logistics team. If it's a larger firm as well that maybe they work on government procurement that could be part of their government affairs team so all really depends I, I would say from the company perspective you know there's not like a, a stat I haven't seen a stat that says you know x amount of trade leads are from the owner slash sales director but I think it would fall somewhere between just the sales office and ownership where do exporters or people who are international trade hang out where do they hang out? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a good good question. So there's a lot of different you know groups and associations. I would say like the district export councils. If you haven't been involved with them, you know our states keep a robust you know, rolodex of, of all their partners, exporters. The district export councils, as I mentioned, there's about 108 of them that are around the U.S. Your state will work with the district export council, but this is a group of pro bono volunteers of kind of industry export professionals 
that are there to help guide and mentor small businesses and exporters. So that's a good group that they, they hang out. They have monthly meetings, most of them do. You know, you have a lot of associations. So think of, you know, even our association, we have a, a step coalition that we have that's uh, comprised of businesses where we can talk about opportunities and success stories around the state trade expansion program. And we can also share advocacy and advice for, for new federal programs and policy. The small business development centers, they have their annual conferences as well. Different industry associations, National Association of Manufacturers, you know, all the way down to aerospace industries uh, to others, they all have kind of their international focus and group as well. But you know, there's not there's not a real central central spot. Maybe it's a club that I'm not cool enough to get invited to, but I'll keep my eyes and ears open. <laughs> Yeah, those are those are some good ones that I hadn't thought about. That's why it's always good to ask. The, the two that I'm a fan of right now are IERG, International Executive Resource Group, and the other one is Bill Kenny's Soft Land Partners. Yeah. Um, so you've heard of both of those? Both, yeah. Yeah. And it just uh, the people involved in that are the same, like with all the state representatives, just passionate about global business and so willing to help people who want to get yeah. started. Yeah. That's what I really love about this field and our, our members and others is they're all in it together. You know, they're ready to share best practices and talk about how, how they help and, and what they can do. And they understand the challenges. We're in a global market. It's competitive. The stronger we work together and help each other, the stronger the U.S. is on a global perspective. Do uh, people in other countries want American goods? They, they, they do. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, you see that everywhere. You hear the stories, um, you hear the, the Made in America brand um, and the reputation that it has. Of course, I'm biased. Um, I only hear that all the time. So we like to communicate that back. And, and from our conversations, they'll pay a premium for it as well. So that's just something we have to keep promoting. It's interesting. People will pay a premium for U.S. goods and services, and they'll also pay a premium, like over 50% will pay more if you provide information on your goods or services in their language. So provide your American goods and do your in-language marketing, and you can get the premiums that are going to cover all the extra expenses or hassles that you might see. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any other recommendations that I might not have asked about? You know, I, I, you really asked a lot of the good questions. I think it really just starts with knowing your resources, you know, just really knowing your resources, having those conversations, and then starting your export strategy and just being prepared and walking through with your, your trade specialists at the state and, and the federal agencies. And just don't be afraid to ask any and all questions. Ask all, like there's no wrong or no dumb question. This is, it can be very complex at times, but it can be very simple. And there's a lot of exports that are there, experts, excuse me, that are there to, to help you throughout the process. So I would just encourage them to really just reach out to the resources and, and have those conversations and to start the process. 
Thank you. Those are, that's really, really good advice. And, you know, it just, it reminds me of the Nike slogan, just, just do it because people are there to support you and give you that cushion. Okay. So as part of SIDO, it's the state international development organizations. Um, it's all the state representatives that come together to share resources and ideas. And I've been to one of your conferences and you're the person that heads up and coordinates with all the states. And so you're hearing all kinds of stories and pulling things in. What are your biggest challenges? Our biggest challenges? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, what we do is really, I think we're, our, one of our biggest challenges right now is just making sure that we have the megaphone for why exporting and international trade is important. This has been a collective issue between states, federal agencies, and all the above is making sure we're, we're cheerleaders. And this is something where you know, you and all of our partners can work together on is making sure that we are cheerleaders to, you know, find those new businesses that want to export, find the companies that want to keep exporting. You know, right now, as we're looking at a COVID recovery, travel, you know, with the Omicron and everything else, everybody is ready to, ready to go. And then with COVID, you just never know. So it's very easy for people to, to fold back and say, I'm just going to have a Zoom meeting. But we need to make sure that international trade and exporting is front and center and still a key component of their growth. And I think that's what we have to do from a collective organization is work with all of our agencies, partners to make sure that we continue to move the needle around international trade and exporting and make sure it's a priority as well. And that's what we also have to do that with, with Congress and the policymakers. Right now, the congressional agenda is being you know, it's largely talked on, you know, the course COVID recovery infrastructure. We have a lot of the budget issues going on between the debt ceiling and, and the budget that's being passed right now. But there's just not a lot of activity around international trade, export promotion, all of the above. So that's what we, that's one of our biggest challenges is really making sure that it gets the right attention. And then we have the right focus. And we have the adequate resources to really make sure we can move the needle moving the head. Yeah, that was really interesting when I was at the CIDO conference and talking to the states and asking them what their challenge was. It was it it aligned with what you're saying is we've got the money and the human power to support exporters, but we don't want to spend the money marketing the programs because we want to give the money to the the companies. So it's kind of a chicken or the egg. You've got this, you know, this these fabulous programs and knowledgeable people that are there to help, but how do you get the word out? Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And that's what we've been, we've been using, you know, this is an opportunity where, you know, when SBA has a large footprint now with the PPP and all the different programs that they've been administering, making sure that we also use that to communicate the step grant program and all the other international trade programs that are out there. And that can be a really big component of their economic recovery as well. Right, right. Well, this is this is so great that you're sharing all this information because I'm talking to business owners all the time. You know, with I'm part of EO Entrepreneurs Organization, where there are a lot of small businesses in there that have been highly successful, and so giving them this information would be good. Putting it out on the podcast, so you know, listeners, if you're you know a business owner, you know somebody in 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 sales management, share this with them so they understand you know the opportunities that are out there. So we are getting to the end of our, our time, unfortunately, because this is just 
been fascinating to me, but I want to know a little bit more about you, Andy. So I think you know what's coming. I'd love to know your favorite foreign word. Well, I'm a little biased with this one. My favorite word is, is, is opa. That's our Greek word for, that's how we celebrate, you know, whether we're dancing, cheersing, or just catching up with friends. I think it's always brings a smile to everybody's face and brings everybody together. So that's why I, I love that word. Opa, right? Opa, Opa grandfather in German. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to be saying that all night. <laughs> and how about your favorite vacation? Favorite vacation. Well, now I am biased. Um, I'm going to give you two. So I'm okay. going to say my favorite annual or semi, I try to go every other year, is to the Greek islands. There's no place like it. It's really great to, to see family and really unplug and to get connected with the culture. Um, but if you're an adventurer, my favorite vacation has been to Patagonia down in Chile. I did a seven-day backpack down there, and it is just a beautiful gem of an area. So anybody that's an outdoor enthusiast, it's definitely on your bucket list. Oh my gosh, we were we looked at going to Patagonia when my sons were younger. Just with you know breaks, it was too limited of a time to get down there. So you did a backpacking trip through there. Yeah, it was fascinating. Just going through, there'd be one day I remember it was seventy five degrees at around eleven o'clock, and then we walked down about a couple miles later. It was thirty five degrees, and I was like, okay. This is uh, why they tell you to bring everything when you go to Patagonia. <laughs> Talk about dressing in layers. <laughs> right? Wow. And what's your favorite Greek island? I got to jump back to that one. Favorite Greek island, I go with Rhodos. It's uh, down in the southeast uh, quadrant of Greece. And it's uh, the village where my father grew up. It's called Karpathos. It's right next to it. So we spent a lot of time in Rhodes. It's a great mix. I used to be the capital of Greece way back in the day. That's where you have the Colossus of Rhodes. They had a necropolis down there in a town called Lindos, but there's just a lot of great culture down there. There's an old town area in the main center of Rhodes. It's just a castle surrounded by this castle wall and all the markets are all inside. So anybody that goes there, just, you know, I, I can send you my, my uncle's hotel and line you up. Oh, that's fair. Well, okay. You got to tell us what's your uncle's hotel there? It's called the Minos, uh, Palios Minos. So you can, it's M-I-N-O-S, Duminos Hotel, Rhodos, Greece. Okay. And Rhodos, I mean, is that like R-H-O-D-E-S in English? Yeah. And then in okay. Greek, it's R-O-D-O-S. So. R-O-D-E-S in Greek. Okay. So Minos Hotel in Rhodos, Greece. Okay. We'll give him a, a little PR too. All right. And how can people find you? Yeah, you can find us on our Saito website. So that's cytoamerica.org. Um, also have a, a Cyto LinkedIn page that's pretty robust as well. If anybody wants to, to join. And I mentioned we, we just launched what's called the Step Grant Coalition. So this is going to be a coalition of small businesses that we can all work together on promoting the Step Grant and making sure that it gets robust funding with government. So anyway, you can, you can reach me on our website. You'll have my email address as well. It is, um, Wendy, you can send this out, but it's a Corellis, K-A-R-E-L-L-A-S at csg.org. 
And you can reach me anytime, anytime there or on our website or LinkedIn. Okay, and Sido is S as in state, I-D-O, America.org for anybody that was wondering how you spell that. Well, thank you so much for being on today. This has been so much valuable information just summarized into one place. So thank you. Well, thank you. Really appreciate the opportunity and just a great discussion. So I really look forward to is there anything else we can do to help and, and keep you know, working on our joint mission. Oh, fantastic. And listeners, I hope you learned just as much as I did from this conversation with Andy. I really appreciate you tuning in. And like I said earlier, if you know somebody that is interested in higher growth and paying higher salaries and more stability, forward this on to them. And you can go to either cytoamerica.org or you can go to our website at rapport translations.com. That's, you know, I, I rarely mention it, but Rapport Translations is the sponsor of the podcast. And you can just search on the search bar STEP, and it'll pull up the link to all the connections at the States. And of course, reach out to me if you have any questions. I know many of them and can connect you directly. So thanks so much. And I'll, I hope you tune in next time. That's a wrap for this session. A big thanks to you for listening to the Global Marketing Show. Hope you had just as much fun as I did. New sessions launch weekly on all places you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on our website. If you know someone interested in this topic, please tell them about us. Au revoir for now.